should have a good afternoon. I guess I should get wired up, shouldn't I? Do I need it? In the uh, 22nd chapter of Luke, at the 32nd verse, we remember there that the words of Jesus, when he told Peter <clears throat> that when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now this change took place in Peter when he attained unto a full knowledge and when he attained on to a full understanding in regard to the purpose and the power of Yahweh. And we will notice that the word strengthen there, to strengthen thy brethren, that word strengthen is translated the very same as the word that we see when he was told to be established here in the 12th verse of, first, of Second Peter chapter 1. This is the same word and it's translated as the same way. And thus Peter was fulfilling now, he was now going to fulfill the request of the Lord by his instruction onto the respective ecclesias and also by strengthening his brethren for he indeed was a pillar of the Ecclesia at this time. And then in the 13th verse we read, rather, this, this is the sad part to me of, of this uh, first chapter. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing <clears throat> that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Tabernacle in this instance, I think, is rendered a, as a tent or a place of a short duration. And this is how the apostle, I think, I think this is how he looked upon life. And yet while at the same time he set their spiritual standards upon the permanent glory set before them, for we read in 2 Corinthians words like this, while we look not at the things that are seen, but rather do we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
Peter knew that he must soon die. And tradition has it that he was put to death during the persecution of Nero. As Nero died in A.D. 68, and this epistle was written sometime after A.D. 60. Only a short period was left before Peter's course would be completed. Tradition also has it that Peter, in his death, he was crucified, as was Christ. Yet Peter felt he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. And so he was crucified inverted or upside down. I don't think that Peter could ever forget the touching interview that he had had with the Lord, which is recorded for us in John 21. He had already referred to it in 1 Peter 5, and let's look that up. In 1 Peter chapter 5 at verse 2. This is the interview that Peter had. And he said to them and advised them to feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre or gain or money, but of a ready mind. Previous to that time, he had boasted of his great love that he had had for his Lord, claiming it to be greater than that of the other disciples. But when the Lord inquired of, them, of him, Lovest thou me more than these? Peter, re Peter, recalling the tragic circumstances of his threefold denial, could but humbly reply, Thou knowest that I love thee. But the words that Peter used for the word love was different to that that was used by Christ. Peter had used the word agapeo, signifying a divine sacrificial love. Peter had answered with the word filial, indicating the lesser love of personal affection, for he doubtless at this time felt worthy or felt unworthy of the greater love that was requested by Christ. And three times the Lord asked a similar question with slight but highly significant variations only to receive 
the same reply from Peter. And on the third occasion, however, however, he also used the word filial and indicated by his rejoinder to Peter's answer the direction in which the personal feeling of affection should be manifested in him. But recognizing in the humility of Peter that he had indeed been converted, the Lord went on to prophesy then how that the apostle would attain unto that greater love and, will, uh, and would ultimately seal and dedicate his life. A life of service. in a death that would glorify that would glorify God and it is to this prediction that Peter now makes reference for he realized that the time was at hand for the end of his life In the 17th verse, we read that he received from Father honor and glory. The whole transaction, this is referring to the mount on, in the Mount of Transfiguration. The whole transaction that took place on the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory encompassing the Lord, the representative figures of Moses and Elijah portraying the law and the prophets and perhaps the dead and living saints gathered to him at his coming. The sounding forth, forth of the divine approbation and the awe-stricken, fearful, wondering apostles was all a picture of the future majesty, the future glory, as well as the coming of our Lord Jesus in power. It was for Peter, was it not, a personal a tremendous eyewitness confirmation of all that Christ is. As well as what all Christ will be. The honor that we relate to here, the honor relates to the approving voice of God which was then heard and the glory to the majesty that pervaded Christ's person and what is this sure word of prophecy that we see in the next verse we have also a more sure word of prophecy this is speaking of the word of prophecy incorporating the promises of God 
And it was confirmed by the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ, which placed the seal of certainty upon what had been promised or predicted. For Romans 15 and 8 says, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the Father. Prophecy had declared that Yahweh would provide a Savior in whom God would delight. And the fulfillment of this had been confirmed by the voice heard on the mount as well as the resurrection of the Lord. And so by this means the word of prophecy had thorough confirmation and can be accepted with the greatest confidence and veracity. You know, brethren, I got about a hundred pages of notes here and and we're going to be halfway through our class. I don't think we're going to make it this week. <laughs> what does it mean when it says no prophecy is of any private interpretation? Think on that. Peter is teaching here that the word of prophecy is divinely inspired and is not the result of the prophet's own thoughts or promptings. In his first epistle, he declared that it was the Spirit of Christ. Let's go back to it. First Peter, chapter 1. Verse 11, it says, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us did they minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So this Spirit of Christ in them, which was responsible for their predictions, and that they themselves had to seek into the meaning of the very words that they themselves uttered. 
We also read there in verse 21, the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man. The margin says that it came not at any time by the will of man. Look at your margin. And where it says holy men of God were moved, holy signifies that they were set apart for a special purpose. They were set apart for a special use. And the Holy Spirit moved these men to utter the words they did. And when the impulse was upon them, and they could not restrain the words that they were induced or instructed to write or to speak, God declared in Hosea 12 and 10 these words. I have spoken by the holy prophets and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. And then we have the words of Micah in the third chapter at the sixth verse where it says, as Micah spake of a time when this would cease, when Yahweh would no longer speak through the prophets, for it says there, <clears throat> and night shall be unto you that ye shall not have a vision and it shall be dark unto you, that ye shall not divine. The sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. And we know that afterwards, we've seen the appearance of John Baptist and the Lord Jesus. And the voice of Yahweh was heard again. The light was again seen. For Zacharias declared, The day spring from on a high hath visited us. The early ecclesias had their own schools of prophets that ministered unto them. But with the withdrawal of the Holy Spirit, the sun again went down upon the prophets. And has remained down and will remain down until the greatest of them all appears again as the glorious light bearer, as the morning star, 
and as the Son of Righteousness. To that time, we are all looking forward to. And so we have concluded our studies on the first chapter. Let us look now at the second chapter of this second epistle of Peter. And this is speaking primarily of doctrinal corruption. And so having set before his readers their high calling in chapter 1 at verses 1 to 11, and having drawn their attention to the importance of the exact knowledge or the epignosis which we spoke of earlier, they should ever bring to mind in chapter 1 verses 12 to 21 which we have studied. Peter now warns them and turns their attention to an apostasy from within, which would challenge the very epignosis, as we spoke of. It would challenge the, the knowledge to which they had met, we have made reference to. And this apostasy would have the inevitable effect of reversing the influence of exact knowledge so, so that instead of revealing in those who embraced it the virtues of which has been written, it would then lead to moral depravity that would result in a swift destruction in all forms of godliness. And we are told here in the second chapter that all this would stem from false teachers who would arise from among the ecclesias. It says it would rise from among the people, and the people he is talking to is the ecclesias. So it would arise from amongst the ecclesias. In this chapter, therefore, he warns against the enemies from within. As in his first epistle, he had warned against enemies from without. And we see Peter here drawing upon examples from Israel's history to show how seductive and how destructive such influences can be. And he clearly shows that such challenges of these as these are far more difficult, brethren and sisters, to counter than a trials and persecutions from without. And this chapter should be compared with the book of Jude. Because Peter here is predicting what Jude saw developing. 
Peter prophesied this, and Jude seen it happen. There shall be false teachers among you, it says. And this is a warning note such as this would surely cause the readers to look for or to look inwardly, lest they themselves were adversely affected by wrong principles or wrong precepts. Paul also warned of false teachers that would arise from among the very committees. that then were paying him, at the time of writing, their greatest respect. Of your own selves, he told the Ephesian elders, shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch. And the history of the truth reveals that, uh, that a constant vigilance is necessary if our beliefs are to be, are to be preserved. In doctrinal purity. And how are these things going to enter into the ecclesias of those days and of the days that we are now living? It says, Who shall privily, who privily shall bring in? This means to bring in alongside the beliefs that we now have. <coughs> Privily in Greek is used as enemies, enemies within a movement secretly introducing enemies from without. That's the Greek rendering for this. And what does the word privily suggest to you and to me? It suggests stealth or secretly. Those of us being here being unaware of this entering in. Peter therefore taught that, th that these false teachers would gradually insinuate themselves into the ecclesias. How do they do it? How does it happen? Well, first of all, I'll tell you. First, they teach much of the truth. And then only slowly and so unrecognizably revealing the false ideas 
that would prove them to be traitors of the true cause. That's how it happens, and that's how it happens today. Openly, they would be espoused. They would espouse the principles of Christ openly, and we can all hear it. But inwardly, they they would have the mental reservations regarding certain doctrines that would develop into deadly error as time went on. You know, brethren, an enemy who openly opposes truth is really no cause for our concern, is it, if they are open about it? If a person comes into the ecclesia and espouses wrong doctrine, that will unite an ecclesia. It will unite an ecclesia against him. But the enemy from within, who secretly and silently works like a lump of leaven against the truth, he is one who will divide wreck and break up an ecclesia. And so such an enemy as this, therefore, is to be feared. It is to be feared as the greatest danger to the health and to the welfare of any ecclesia on earth. And what do they bring in? We are told there that they bring in damnable heresies. And the revised version renders this as destructive heresies. Destructive of what? The context shows that it is destructive of the way of life in Christ. Paul taught that evil communications corrupt good manners, or false doctrine has its effects upon the, upon the Christ way of life. For example, if we do not believe that Christ is coming, we will not make preparations for it. If we do not believe that baptism is essential, we, we then will not submit to the act. Our beliefs, our truth, is designed to change us for the kingdom.
and essential doctrine, brethren and sisters, is that form of doctrine. It is that form of teaching that has some impact on our life. And the heresies here to which Peter makes reference would then be destructive of the way of life in Christ. Peter is saying that these heresies would be destructive of the well-being of the ecclesias and would lead to the moral deterioration of its members. The very term denying the Lord that bought them is a statement that indicates that false doctrine had relation to the atoning work of our Lord Jesus. And Jude, who uses the same form of words, relates the error of the doctrine of God manifestation which is connected with the atonement. Jude uses the same words as Peter. And Peter is evidently referring to the erroneous views that some would introduce relating to the personal and sacrifice or the person and sacrifice of Christ. And the doctrine of substitution, which early became widespread throughout the Ecclesia, defeats the doctrine of personal sacrifice. If Jesus died instead of us, then there is no need is there? There's no need for us to die if Christ has already died for us. But Paul taught contrary to that. In Galatians 5.24, he taught that there is a need to mortify the lusts of the flesh and to replace them with the attributes of Christ. And Paul was opposed to some who misinterpreted the liberty of the gospel as being licensed and set out to please themselves. They proclaimed the doctrine of doing evil that good may come in Romans 3.8. And having been delivered through Christ from the condemnation of the law, they imagined that they were a law unto themselves, did they not? And that all restrictions for them had ceased. And in so doing, thus, they denied the right of the Lord that had bought them. Obsessed with a theory that grace would provide a cover for all sin, they gave themselves over to the unstinted gratification of the flesh. Of these, Paul wrote these words, 
their damnation is just. But the two doctrine of the atonement not only reveals the mercy of God in forgiving sins, but his justness in demanding that sins be forsaken. And these errorists to whom Peter makes reference here denied that the Lord had any claim on them at all. They forgot that he had bought them in his death and that as his slaves they should perform his will. And so what was it like? The picture really is, brethren and sisters, they were like slaves rebelling against their master. And so the false doctrines taught by these false teachers would be rapidly followed by deterioration of moral conduct, destructive of every principle. of righteousness in Christ Jesus. They would therefore swiftly bring upon them the moral deterioration resulting from their false teaching. In chapter, or in verse 2 there, How sad it must have been to pen this statement. Many shall follow their pernicious ways. How sad it must have been when you think of Peter With all his labors, with all the labors of his fellow apostles, all these things were to prove abortive. Were all their efforts to be without lasting effect? Was all their preaching to be a waste of time? If all apostolic effort was aimed at merely founding ecclesias, is that all it was for? Was it only for creating a personal following? Or establishing a permanent movement? then it and all their endurance under trial and persecution would have been in vain. For the very ecclesias they established, brethren, the very ecclesias they are established in these times of the writings of Peter were soon to cease. They would be gone. And the many who then embraced the truth, were soon to be swayed therefrom. How? By the false teachers who arose from among them.
the history of Israel pointed the lesson and indicated the, that even as apostasy swept the nation, even as there had been false prophets among the people who challenged the sure word of prophecy spoken by men who were moved by the Holy Spirit, and so a repetition would follow the establishment of the Gentile ecclesias. Peter and his fellow apostles, however, they did not labor for the moment. They did not labor for the present, but they labored for the future. They labored for you and me. They did not labor to build up a, a personal prestige among men. Nor did they labor to create a personal movement that they might be head over. They labored to win individuals over to the kingdom yet to be established. And so in this, their effort will be crowned in success through those comparatively few who heed the message. And meanwhile, Peter told his readers that many would deflect from the truth, and his prediction is a warning to us all not to be adversely influenced by ungodly majorities, nor should any of us be deferred by widespread defection. We'll continue there tomorrow.